WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Okay, so it's a show about an island. All right, they're on an island, but they they're playing Crash on the island, but it crashed on purpose. They were brought to the island for a specific reason. Yeah, you follow me so far? So far. Okay. So these people all get onto a plane. They're, they're headed from Australia to Los Angeles. It crashes over this island. They're a thousand miles off course. Nobody knows where to look for them. Uh, and basically, they land on this strange island with all these weird electromagnetic properties. And uh, why am I explaining this to you? You've seen the show. You've yeah. seen every episode. You, you're like me. You obsess <laughs> over it. You go to websites and read theories, and it's basic I'm addicted. It's basically the greatest thing that has happened in television for me since Quantum Leap, and that's pretty heady company. We're talking, of course, about the program Lost. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, has a well-deserved night off uh, after. Taking the reins last week while I was at the Celtics game and handling things and doing a, a terrific job. Thank you to him and Andy Lake for hanging out and uh, for Terry Garofalo for being our guest. But uh, tonight we're going to be talking about Lost. And since Moniz has never watched a single episode of the program, we decided to give him the night off. Because basically he's got to start watching the series. Yeah, He's got to go out and get it on DVD we, and start we from the beginning. We don't want to spend the whole show explaining everything. Yes, Damn. yes, because it would take it would take the entire show at least yes. to give an overview of the storyline of Lost. Uh, if you have not seen the finale, which uh, it actually wrapped up, the rebroadcast of it wrapped up a little bit earlier on ABC. Uh, so if you haven't seen it and you don't want us to ruin anything for you, just, you know, turn off the radio. I know we shouldn't advise people to do that, but this is one of those rare instances where, uh, you know, just turn off the radio, and then uh, once you've watched it, go back, download the podcast of this episode from SpookySouthCoast.com or from iTunes or Zoom Marketplace or wherever you find your podcasts. I like podfeed.net. That's a good one. So if you want to wait and, and listen to it then, our feelings won't be hurt. But if you did watch the series finale of Lost last Sunday and you have been moved by it, you have been... Uh, moved by the series as a whole, if you still have questions that you need answered, if you still have things that you want to discuss about the program, well, that's what we're going to be here to do all night tonight. Christopher Balzano will join us. You know him from all of his Balzano breakdowns that he's done here on the program, but tonight he's going to give us one on Lost, uh, specifically the mythologies and religious overtones of Lost. So it's going to be a fascinating program. I know it kind of goes outside the realm of the paranormal like we would normally talk about here on Spooky South Coast, but I think this is an important cultural touchstone that we need to recognize and observe, and it does have a lot of, I guess you could say, paranormal themes running through the program as well. This, this isn't just a television show. This was an art form of telling a story uh, through the medium of television, and I think it's something that's not going to ever be done again. 
uh, mainly because the production values of the show were so high. And as it turns out, it's got no syndication value because now that everybody knows what happened, they're all going to watch it once. Uh, they're going to go back through the series one time and kind of see what all the mysteries were all about. And then I, I don't think it's going to have much shelf life after that uh, in terms of, you know, nightly reruns on no. Channel 56. But, you know, DVD sales, of course, will forever be big. Uh, people are always going to want to get into the storyline that haven't before. So it's, uh, I mean, it's basically like, you know, the other programs that we've talked about here on the show. It's like the Twilight Zones, yeah. you know, the Quantum Leaps, these other programs that have... Uh, touches of the paranormal within, within them that we bring out. And, of course, the X-Files, the Night Stalker, you know, these types of programs uh, will always have a place in our hearts and, and so won't lose. So what what did you think of the finale, Matt Costa? Did, were you satisfied with what you saw? I was mostly satisfied. I mean, it, it didn't answer every single question that we've ever had, but I think it answered enough questions that we uh, were fine with the ending. Yeah, I kind of resigned myself to the fact that we weren't going to be getting all the answers. Uh, I'd heard the producers, uh, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Q, say that there was not going to be an answer for every question. That some questions they didn't even know the answers to. Uh, and when you break it down as a story, and I'm sure Chris will, will be able to help us with this uh, in just a few minutes, but when you break it down, I mean, sometimes you need to have these little weird things that just kind of move the story line that can't be explained away. And that's bound to happen in any series. I mean, think of, think of how many shows that you've, and, and movies that you've loved as a child uh, have been ruined by, you know, rational thought a little bit later on yeah. in your life. Like, for example, you know, how did the Incredible Hulk have so many clothes to go through? <laughs> for a guy who just wandered around with, you know, a, a bag on a stick with a piano playing in the background, he always seemed to have a fresh change of clothes whenever he hulked out. Just one of the examples, you know. And, that out there. Yeah, and and, and you, how can you forget the famous uh, three-hour debate between me and my brother about the how many at one point in time there were actually two DeLoreans in the same time, uh, same space and time during the Back to the Future trilogy, and we had to like map it all out on a on a board, <laughs> and you know, basically it looked like a, a Daniel Faraday, you know, tachyon equation. By the way, that's another thing I wanted to ask you about. You know, we talk about tachyons as being the possible element that would allow us to travel in time. What is with tachyons in television right now? I don't know. They're all over the place. They're on every show. Tachyons are more ubiquitous right now than uh, The Situation and Snooky. Am I saying that right? Because I've never seen that show, but I wanted to make a cultural <laughs> reference. So Snooky and The Situation. That's, that's what I'm going with. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it just tachyons are everywhere. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, it's these shows that are discussing them, as soon as they mention the T word, they get canceled. That happened with Journeyman. You know, they start talking tachyons. No more Journeyman. (laughs) Uh, It happened with Flash Forward. Tachyons. It's like the magic word to make sure that you get the plug pulled. It's worse than dropping an F bomb on live TV right now. (laughs) I think the FCC uh, demands that you get removed from the airwaves if you say the word tachyon. So, hmm. good night. <laughs> uh, it just seems weird. So, uh, if you'd like to join in the discussion at any point during the night, just give us a call. 508-996-0500. 1-877-996-1420. And, of course, you can also email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you want to be involved in some live, real-time chat... Just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the chat link, 
And uh, that'll take you to our friend Craig's site, where you can listen to the live stream of the show while you have a discussion with other spooky South Coast fans. And I'm logging in right now because I have my laptop over here. <clears throat> I had so much fun in the chat room last week uh, when I was supposed to be watching the Celtics game that I wanted to go back again this week. And, and it doesn't look like anybody's in there, but that might just be... You've got people showing up in there. Are those, is that just like a dummy page, or is that actual people? Um, I don't know. Okay. I'm having troubles, <laughs> as this computer usually does. So, well, anyway, I'm in the chat room if you want to join in. And we can take your questions there as well. So it's just going to be a nice night where we reflect on Lost. We talk about some of the theories, the mythologies. Uh, it's just amazing how many different religions have been brought into the show. You know, they said from the beginning that uh, they weren't they weren't in purgatory, they weren't in hell, they weren't in heaven. You know, that's, uh, these these have all been dismissed. And as it turns out, that's that's the way it goes. I mean, the island was real as Christian Shepherd says. So we're going to talk about all that stuff and more. Also, we're going to be giving away tickets all night long to see the new movie Splice. It comes out next Friday in theaters everywhere. It stars Adrian Brody as a, a genetic researcher who, him and his partner, they basically decide to clone a human even though they've been told they can't. And uh, what results is a creature known as Dren. And Dren terrorizes the scientists and the world. And so we're going to be giving away tickets to sneak previews Tuesday night in either Boston or Warwick, Rhode Island. So you have the choice, if you win, as to which show you want to go to. They're both at 7 o'clock. Also, you get a Drenolution t-shirt. It's an awesome t-shirt. We have uh, the gray full-size t-shirts for the men and the uh, gray tank top for the women. I, I suppose a man could take that, too. It sure. doesn't matter. Uh, so we have a bunch of those. We have posters. Uh, tons of posters and tons of tickets. So if you want to call in, we're going to take a break. So if you want to call in during the break and win, give us a call, 996-0500-1877-996-1420. And if you come by and knock on the window, we'll give you some passes as well. So stay tuned. We'll be back with Chris Balzano as we get lost here on Spooky South Coast. Drive Shaft, their biggest hit yep. and only hit. It's a first tour of Finland. That's where I got that ring. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Science advisor Matt Moniz is taking the night off because, well, he never watched Lost. So, no, he, he deserves it after running the show last week in my absence and doing a fine job. So we told him, hey, you know, we're going to we're gonna break down Lost with Chris Balzano so you can take the night off. And, Chris, I can tell you that uh, Matt really wanted to be here um, so that he could be enlightened by Lost. 
<laughs> no, I don't think he cares. No, and uh, it, it's, it's funny how so many people didn't care um, and are actually kind of like violently opposed to it. And oddly enough, those were the people who ended up watching the final and offering opinions. And so it was kind of like, well, you didn't really watch it, so how would you possibly get it? It, the the funny thing is is uh, there were people who were tuning into the pilot I mean to the finale because it was a cultural event who had never seen the show and they thought like they were going to see something that was going to make them want to go back and watch the whole show and that's happened with other finales where you know if you've watched the final episode of certain programs you say all right I I think I want to kind of go back and see what that show is all about I think if you watch the finale of Lost it makes you not want to go back and watch the show because you can kind of tell how confusing and involved it's going to be but based on what goes down in the finale. Yeah, and, and how, you know, it, it, it's not easy TV in terms of, you know, there were a lot of unanswered questions. Um, but the beauty I thought of the finale, and I, and I know the mixed feelings of kind of him already giving away that I loved it, um, is that those questions, you know, remain. And so we can continue it, it, it which has really been the secret of loss from the beginning, episode's over, now show is over, now it's kind of into the realm of our imagination, and especially into the realm of the Internet, where people can talk and debate and discuss, and there is no real answer, so that just continues to live on. The talk going into the program all week, and, and you and I talked about it the night before, is when uh, an iconic show now comes to a close, the finale has to be an event. In addition to the fact that Lost was a program where we needed to have so many questions answered, so many different angles that needed to be uncovered, uh, just being the final episode of a show with such a great run, it has to be something momentous at the end. And the illusions were constantly made all week long to the Sopranos ending, how it was so hyped, and in the end they just either they failed to deliver they felt that they couldn't deliver, or they did deliver, depending on how you come down on it. How do you feel about the ending of Lost? Do you feel like they were able to deliver what they needed to? What I was In the weeks leading up to it, what was really kind of hitting me was I wanted all the questions to be answered the week before. Um, and therefore, we just have the backgammon board to play on, if you will. Um, and we can just enjoy the final conflict, the final battle, the climax. Um, and I didn't want an episode of, oh, I get it now. Oh, oh. And when I saw the, the, the episodes leading up to it, I had that reaction, but I was like, oh, there's so many other questions. Maybe they're going to answer them. And when, it ended up to the, when it, the episode itself ended up being, well, we're kind of giving you all the answers we're going to give you, and now we're going to play on this battlefield. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed, you know, the sideways world as well. And, and, and I'm having a really, it seems so simple to me, but I'm having a really hard time explaining it to people who watched it and the people who just heard about it on the radio and said, well, they're all dead. We knew it was going to end that way. And I'm like, well, that's not really how it ends. Yeah, exactly. That's not the ending of it. You know, it's, it's, that's the ending in the future, but there's no future. And so, it's, it's, so for me, I kind of felt satisfied and now I still have those answered questions, which will never be answered, which I can't analyze and debate and then go over. But it's, it's still fun to kind of debate them with people because you bring in evidence as opposed to having it clear-cut, this is the answer. It, it really is so open to, to people's interpretation. And where you come from with it depends on what your background is and what your belief system is as well. Yeah, and, that's, and, and, and questioning that. And then, 
of course, seeing that, wait a minute, there's a unified thread between this religion and that religion and this concept and that concept. And, of course, <clears throat> what Matt would really would love is this beautiful mixing of science and religion. It's almost like it, it almost put a thumb in the eye of different religions as if to say, it's all one thing, man. Yeah, and I remember being a freshman in college and writing an article for Time Magazine that I actually thought would be published back in, before I really knew things, talking about this salad bar concept of religion, like you take what you can from other religions. And instead, what it seems to be, lots seem to be saying, was that all religions are there. And even the things that conflict and the things that don't agree with those religions exist in universes and in, and in places and in times within each of us and then kind of us as humanity. It, it's first of all, it's amazing that a show that can take on such heady subject matter uh, can survive on the show for six uh, on the air for six seasons as it has. But one of the things that the the producers talked about in the weeks leading up to the finale is they came on board at a very special time in television history where basically the scripted drama was dead, and everybody was moving toward these much much cheaper reality shows. And they had the opportunity to kind of go in there and play, and as long as they got the numbers that ABC was looking for in the pilot episode, they were willing to give them a lot of leeway. And, and it's something that will never happen again. We'll never see these types of, of topics addressed on a major broadcast network again. I mean, maybe a cable network. Uh, you know, HBO kind of had their own attempt at a similar type thing with uh, that program, John, from Cincinnati, and that only lasted one season. Yeah, I mean, and, and we see all these, um, you know, people who are trying to take, not necessarily lost, but trying to take this same kind of vibe, a Lostian kind of perspective on a show, and they're not really succeeding because it really was this perfect kind of storm of character. I mean, amazing character-driven. You know, <laughs> I was thinking of, like, what was the time that I first realized that I liked the show? Um, and unlike most people... Um, I've only been watching Lost for less than a year. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to not have to wait for any episodes. I got into it last summer and watched the entire thing through. Um, sometimes two or three episodes a day, unfortunately. Uh, didn't get a lot of work done. But, uh, <laughs> but if you're wondering where Chris Balzano's next book is, now that Lost is over, <laughs> it, might, uh, it might be coming out soon. But, um, but you know, it's... it's Watching, especially that first season, trying to be like, okay, when exactly was I a fan? And just realizing the amazing moments that took place in that, in that, especially that first season and then kind of into season two, season three for me lagged a little bit. But it was, I really couldn't because the writing was so amazing. And it really was this combination of having creative freedom, the writing of it, the characters, the acting of it. It, it really was a special thing, which may be repeated. We always say when we lose something great that, you know, it's, it's not going to be, you know, who's the next Jordan. It's, it's, it's different than that because a show will take another perspective mm -hmm. or be able to tackle something different in a different way, and we'll look back and kind of rank it. It's like, oh, yeah, remember, like, great shows like Lost or, or you know, The West Wing and St. Elsewhere and, and these, to me, iconic shows. It'll be something different a few years down the road, and we'll kind of appreciate it after the fact, kind of we are, the way we are doing with Lost. But I don't think I don't think the... The, the concept of the great show is entirely dead. Well, the the moment that hooked me for sure was, I mean, right away in the pilot, you can tell that this is going to be a show that has better production values 
uh, than most programs. They, they definitely had uh, a high budget. Uh, and what grabbed me was the the mystery was brought in right right away. I mean, it wasn't enough from the beginning to make it a show about people stranded on an island. They made sure that you knew from the beginning that there was something greater going on. And then when you have the knowledge of six seasons and you go back and you watch it, as I did the night before the finale, then you get to see there really was a plan in place. And that opens it all up for you to go back and relive it again from that perspective. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the writing in terms of the, the actual physical writing, like the, the, the words on the page. Yes. But I'm a big fan of the, of the Harry Potter series. One thing that she does really, really, really well is every chapter, you automatically, as soon as you finish that chapter, want to lead to the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a great heartbeat for her, for her work. And I felt that, that Loft had that, and at its best, it had it within an episode. You couldn't wait it. Episodes of Lost that I've watched this season, I go and do whatever I wanted for, for 20 minutes so that I was 20 minutes into the show before I actually started watching it back on DVR so I could fast forward. Mm-hmm. Every episode I felt, or the majority of episodes, majority of seasons felt that way. I didn't want the show to end, and then when it ended, I wanted it to be the next one already. The, the weird thing for me is it's one of the few programs, normally when I'm watching a show, I'm checking the DVR counter to see how much time is left in the episode before I can you know, move on from watching it. And it's one of the only, it might be the only show that as I'm watching it, I l- would look at that counter and see that there's only seven minutes left and I would just, I'd become disheartened by that. Right, because there's so much that could have happened. It wasn't, you know, whatever you were currently watching, you wanted to see that taken. You knew it, it wasn't going to be taken to completion fully because everything was so intertwined. So you, you always had the feeling that, well, what else can they kind of bring in here? You know, what else can they kind of do here? And it's, and it's, um, it's the thing that I think really, really good writers do within a work. And so if you take the work of Lost as a whole, it's something that really is effective. That From that first episode with that, you know, guys, where are we, to, you know, countless times within the, within the course of the show, uh, you wanted the next one to start right away. And, the, and, of course, the beauty of it was that the next episode sometimes didn't even connect or start at the same place, or be about anything about what the last one was. And so you were left with those pressing questions for more than one week. Well, we, we've got about a minute here before we have to break for the news, but I, I just want to point out the one thing that impressed me the most about the writers and the producers of the show was that they were always willing to uh, give a little wink to the fans and to the ones that were really hardcore about it and online and on the message boards discussing it. Uh, they were always willing to put little things in the episodes that let them know, hey, we're paying attention to what you have to say. It was actually it was a very interactive show without being interactive. Yeah, like I, I like you and I had talked about that night before the finale. Um, in a lot of ways, it was the Blair Witch of television. It was the it was in many ways the child of the internet, and um, people drove it as much as it drove people. Absolutely. All right. Well, we are coming up on the news. Uh, when we come back on the other side, we'll talk more with Chris about Lost. We're going to do it from 11 to 12. We're going to talk about the theories, the mythologies, the religious overtones, and also we'll be giving away movie tickets. So give us a call, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. First, with local news, talk, and sports. Usually the part when people start screaming. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. 
To Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. And let's just take a minute to reflect, because uh, in the opening there for the hour number two, you did hear a reference to 24, another great show that ended this past week. Their finale was uh, also uh, a series finale, and it was, eh, I mean... I don't know if we were ruined or not by the... By the Lost finale. So that, that's, I mean, whoever scheduled that was brilliant to make sure that they ran yeah. Lost the night before 24 so that Lost dominated all the headlines. 24 was very subdued. I think it lost a lot of viewership over the last few years because it did get extremely ridiculous, but I still enjoyed it. <laughs> and uh, so we get to move on from Jack Bauer. And yeah, there was no Polar Bear, though. No, so. no Polar Bear, which would have been a nice touch. Um, but... We are left with a lot to discuss uh, regarding the Lost finale, and joining us on the line to do that is our good friend Chris Balzano, giving us a Balzano breakdown on all things Lost. And Chris, Matt found uh, some interesting numbers during the break. Uh, it turns out that an average of 13.5 million viewers tuned in to watch the American airing of the Lost finale. Uh, it fell far short. It was the the highest rated program of the night, but it fell far short of matching the viewership numbers posted by the finales of shows such as MASH, which of course is the biggest uh, television scripted television show of all time. Uh, that finale had a hundred over a hundred million viewers. Seinfeld had seventy six million, Friends fifty two million, and even Alf had twenty one point seven million. But that's okay because th- there was questions about that one. Does he return to Melmac with yeah, Skip and, and Ron? Not in those numbers are the. Uh the finales of um, of Gilmore Girls, <laughs> which, which I anxiously awaited, and uh, and Saint Elsewhere, which which had two finales, uh, two of the perhaps greatest endings of all time uh, for one show, and uh, you never really hear about whether or not that was uh, whether that that made the grade either, even though people talk about the content of of the, the second ending. But well, the finale for Saint Elsewhere though is one of those mercurial endings where people. You know, either loved it or hated it. Right. The second ending you're referring to is actually yes. the show was, was canceled and then brought back. So uh, I personally like the first ending more uh, where the little five-year-old, you know, killed the rapist uh, with a gun. But <clears throat> the um, the second one, of course, is, yeah, like one of those. And, you know, we had joked about, you know, the, uh, the Jimmy Kimball uh, alternate endings being joke endings, and I was waiting for them to, uh, to bring out the kid with uh, autism to kind of, you know, make a nod to that as well. You know, I I will say this, and I, I kind of saw that coming, that they were going to be joke endings, and I, I kind of knew they would spoof The Sopranos, and I had an idea they might spoof Newhart, you know, because those are such iconic endings. But the best part about that Jimmy Kimmel was the fact that they had the, the kid, the young Jacob, uh, hanging out in the set <laughs> behind everybody. That was brilliant. Yeah, it was. I mean, and, and I'm not a, 
I never actually watched Jimmy Kimmel Live, but uh, I, I was a fan of his back on the uh, Ben Stein days. So um, I didn't get to watch that till the night before. Actually, <laughs> it was it was weird. And uh, my son woke up and began throwing up violently uh, about halfway through the uh, the finale. So I didn't actually watch the uh, the ending of the the real finale of Lost until about two o'clock in the morning with my son next to me asking me all these questions. And so it was kind of this eye opening experience to be like, huh. Yeah, why are they doing that? And to try to explain it to him, and he was just, actually, oddly enough, maybe it was just because it was 2 o'clock, he was bewildered at the end, just like, his job was open, and it was over, he was like, wow, can I go to bed now? <laughs> well, there's a lot of little things in the finale that, uh, you know, normally, when a TV show is on, we're not going to watch an episode over and over again and break it down and dissect it, but this is an episode that definitely deserves uh, that type of attention. And I've purposely stayed away from it since I watched it Sunday because I, I, I need some time away from it before I dive back into it. But uh, some of the, the minor changes here in the finale, according to Lostpedia, which has been my lifeline throughout the series, the sound that accompanies the Lost logo in the end of every episode was changed for this episode. Instead of the suspense-like sound, a more peaceful sound is played. Uh, so there was that. Uh, there was also some other uh, uh, interesting things here. Uh, now, first of all, the, um, the the finale was aired simultaneously across the world, which is something that has never happened before. They've, they've never, with a scripted drama, they've always let it just run during its natural time slot. And then, you know, if you're going to write anything on the Internet, there's spoiler alerts for people that hadn't seen it yet. But they knew that, the, the diehard fans wanted to know, and, and people were probably awake watching it at 3 in the morning overseas. Uh, another interesting aspect of it is as the Ajira Flight 316 plane flies over the island, it makes the same sound that is used as the transition to the Flash Sideways timeline, huh. and that's the last sound that Jack hears before dying. Um, let's see. Yeah. This is this was kind of an interesting little little note here. A few days before the finale aired, Lindelof and Cuse went to do a top ten lost finale spoilers on David Letterman. One of the false spoilers written for them to read was that Jack dies. Uh, it shocked them and left them in a precarious position because they didn't want to spoil the ending for fans. They didn't want to admit to Letterman writers and the production team that Jack really does die. So they got out of it by telling the people on Letterman that the lost fans would not take things like Jack dying lightly, even as a joke. And then they were able to get it written out of the top ten without anyone knowing it was true. So, <laughs> just a little bit of pop culture information there about the finale. Jack dies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's something that took a lot of of, of rapping my wife and I. I mean, my wife, uh, she watched a lot of the first season with me. Um, we didn't watch it when it first debuted. I instead watched it the summer following on DVD. And uh, we we watched the first season together, and then as it got a little bit more... Um, you know, left of center, she decided that she didn't want to stick with it. And so she would often be in other rooms of the house while it was going on and kind of would hear what was going on. But she did sit and watch the finale with me. And her and I just standing there, sitting there, uh, rather, watching the, the final moments and hearing Christian explain to Jack what went on. And we're trying to talk ourselves through it to really grasp it completely. Um, so with all the script that's going on, people might have missed a lot of the imagery that was going on during that. Did you catch some of that imagery in that final scene in the church? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, I was, um, you know, even, even the, you know, kind of leading into it before that with the, with the whole Christian shepherd thing, I was waiting for them for six, you know, six, 
seasons there, you know, a year for me to somebody like, why is no one making a joke about that? Why is no one putting any uh, connection to that? that What's that supposed to mean? But then, yeah, obviously the physical image and the, and the stained glass and kind of all those other things that were there, it, it, it kind of, you know, brought that that unity that we were talking about earlier. And, and you know, I was just kind of thinking, you know, many of the world's religions, and I can speak on just some of them in terms of this overwhelming arc, you know, when Jesus was asked what's the most commandment, he said, you know, love God. Yeah, that's good. And then, and then the second thing is love each other. And, and that was right around the time, I believe it's in the same, you know, uh, section of the Bible in the same speech where he's basically talking about, you know, there are no other commandments. Everything that's happened before, forget about it and listen to what I have to say. Um, and so his, his overwhelming message was love each other. Um, you know, namaste, may, may the, the light in me reflect the light in you. I've been doing yoga with my son. Dude, even Bill and Ted, you know, be cool to each other. Yeah. Um, and so if you're looking for a, you know, uh, uh, something that brings all these religions together and shines through lost, it's this concept of love. And, you know, at the end, it's that love um, and that light in you reflecting the light in, in, in someone else that brings them all back together and, uh, and you know, uh, brings kind of the, the the clash of the physical stuff on the island to completion too sacrifice and so it's a you know it's it's the fail safe is and then is not the actions that Desmond does but the fact that he is of all the characters on there a man of love mm-hmm. and he was uh, you know the the juxtaposition of that Desmond character is extremely interesting because in the episode prior to the finale, you have Jacob explaining to the uh, remaining candidates that the reason why they were brought to the island is, you know, they weren't lost on the island. They were lost before they got to the island. They had nothing in their lives that was really giving them direction and purpose and that the island could possibly do that for them. And Desmond is the juxtaposition of that because he had a purpose. When he arrived on that island, he knew he wanted to get off that island for the specific purpose of love. He knew that he loved Penny and that, you know, that's what he wanted to do with his life. And he had that direction, that focus, that purpose. So that's why I think he was kind of that constant that they always referred to, not because of his ability to handle electromagnetic fields, but because he could show the other characters what it is that they were missing in their lives. Right, and... You know, very directly, he finds the island because of love, because he's trying to, in, in his own, you know, you know, here with a thousand faces kind of idea, you know, complete what he needs to complete to be able to win the love of his Penelope. Um, and so it, it's kind of, you know, the one person who arrives on the island because of love is, is ultimately the person who helps to bring all these people together and to find love. And you had alluded to the the imagery, and I just want to read this little list here of what was in there, and I might mispronounce some things here, but the stained glass window in the church at the end of the show is, is what basically brought all these religions together. It has the Star and Crescent of Islam, the Star of David for Judaism, the Aum, which is widely used as a symbol of Hinduism, but is also present in Buddhism and Jainism, the Christian Cross, the Dharma Chakra, which is a Buddhist symbol, and the Yin Yang Disc of Taoism. So, I mean, they ba- basically it's like if you've ever seen the. I know U2 is a big uh, uh, portrayer of it during their concerts, but the, there's bumper stickers and T-shirts everywhere where it says "coexist," and the words are made out of all the different religious symbols. Right, right. You know, it's kind of like that was their own version of that. You also mentioned too the idea of Jack's father being named Christian Shepherd. 
And one of the things that I was the most impressed with with the finale is the writers and producers, they weren't afraid to kind of, you know, tweak their nose a little bit and to say, you know, we do acknowledge some of the ridiculousness of some of this. Uh, like when Kate makes a joke about, really, his name's Christian Shepard? And when Jack announces to the smoke monster Locke that uh, he is the their replacement for Jacob, and, of course, Locke says, oh, kind of obvious, don't you think? <laughs> right. <laughs> right, and, 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 you know, the, the other thing that I was going to touch on with what you were talking before is that by making him, um, by making him kind of the final link of, of the moving on process, by making him the person who they show at the end the way they show at the beginning... They, in a way, shifted it, you know, and he joked about it in the, in the after show, they shifted it to this whole story, if it's one person's story, then it's Jack's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, people who watch the show know that it's, you know, that these things are not necessarily played out just because of Jack, and it wasn't Jack's. I mean, we could, we could have gone back and could have gone down any of these characters and, and done a similar kind of path. But, you know, it, it was very intentional that it was, you know, this was Jack's story and that Jack was the the hero among the heroes. Well, you had, there were so many factors for that. You had the uh, the doctor by profession and by nature who's who f- always felt the need to fix others and not look inward into himself. And then at the same time, the whole man of science, man of faith debate, he was without a doubt a man of science and by the end of the series becomes the man of faith. Yeah, and then, you know, the ultimate Jack trait is the fixer. <clears throat> and sometimes it's not about fixing it's about understanding and accepting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, once again, and I'm going to make this reference several times, you know, if you're looking at here with a thousand faces kind of, you know, Campbellian uh, approaches to, to looking at all stories as mythology, but specifically ones that kind of, you know, follow these, I mean, that's, that's a very heroic path, um, that acceptance. Oftentimes, you know, it's taken the form of, of a... Of a you know, a, a final duel or a final battle that must be done. But ultimately, all these great heroes throughout mythology um, don't have, don't, it, it, it's, you know, Medusa is irrelevant to the kind of acceptance, um, to the kind of knowing that it was, it was with you all along. Um, and that's what Jack has to do. And, so be, and that's what all the characters have to do. But so that's what, that's what makes it this kind of grand mythology within mythology. You know, it, it's, very much, it's very much Tolkien. Um, in a way that, you know, Tolkien set out to create mythology that would be for Britain, um, because so much of Britain's mythology until then had been borrowed. Um, even, you know, the, the Arthian tales were kind of French-based, and so this was really kind of Tolkien's way of taking all of that and taking all those ideas and those concepts, tipping his hat to them as he went along, but creating something that was uniquely British, which, of course, that Americans stole. Um, <laughs> and then, then New Zealanders, too. And then New Zealanders. And so in, in very much way, this is, this is kind of like, you know, you could say American, um, except for the cast is so multinational that it's, 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 you can't even you know, pinpoint like that. But this is kind of like modern mythology. And then, of course, for those who were participants, it became, you know, it became technology mythology. <laughs> it became uh, this mythology for those of us who you know, went to the Lost Encyclopedias and, and checked out characters and things we might have missed. And, you know, for me, things about the characters that everyone else already knew in the world. Um, and so, you know, it, it was in the same way. It, it tipped its hat at mythology along the way, but it's, it's very much this kind of new 
uh, story for like a modern age, which of course, when you strip it down, is the universal story. Well, if you'd like to call in and join in the discussion, the numbers are 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420 to call in toll-free. Email us, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com, and you can also click on the chat link uh, as well on spookysouthcoast.com, and, and we can discuss things there as well. But one of the things, you, you know, mentioning the idea of this modern mythology is you, you mentioned Tolkien, but the story is also very Balmian, too. You know, it's very reflective of the Wizard of Oz. Uh, the fact that Dorothy had to go through this entire journey in a strange land uh, to find out, you know, basically that whatever she was looking for was in her own backyard. Uh, but one of the other writers that the, the producers and writers of the show looked up to, and it definitely comes through in the writing, and we've discussed this in the past, is Stephen King and particularly in terms of the Dark Tower series, right. which for anybody who has not completed the Dark Tower series but is a fan of Stephen King, uh, will kind of ruin things for you a little bit if you, if you don't want to listen uh, here. But it, basically what you have with King is every story connected, which is something that you don't realize when you're reading you know, Pet Cemetery or Christine. But almost every Stephen King story was connected by this grand connection amongst all of his characters. And I think that the lost world whether intentionally or not, is connected to that world. Well, I had not read The Dark Tower, uh, and I'm actually still not through all of it. Because <laughs> you, st uh, you stopped reading it to watch Lost. <laughs> I was assuming you were done by now. Uh, no, no, but I mean, I, uh, like I do with, with many things that are on a grand scheme, I mean, I've done so much research on it, I basically know everything that happens sure, yeah. now. <laughs> but, but, you, but you have this. I remember I, was, I, I picked up, I'm like, all right, I'm going to read the first one. Um, and so I, I picked it up and I was reading it, and instantly, you know, there's a character, Jake, a man in black. <laughs> I was like, wow, this really makes sense. I wonder if there's something to this. And uh, I posted it on, you know, on my Facebook, and then all of a sudden, like, I got all these people who were saying, yeah, how about this connection, this connection? And I started like, I don't know about that because I just started reading. Um, and then other people talking about, yeah, you know that they own the, the rights to that and that they're making a movie, which is, I think those plans have since been at least put on hold. Um, but you saw those same kind of themes and that's those same kind of ideas running through, you know, the books that I've read. And, of course, you know, The Bear I had remembered when I had picked that up, you know, when it was originally published. Um, but, yeah, and, and it, it's, it's, I think, where you get a completed work. You know, it, it's when you start seeing these connections and things make sense and, you know, tumblers start to click. Illusions are kind of, you know, make sense to you now. Um, and then, of course, like I said, it's, it's played out on a modern on a modern stage, and yet, you know, it's very much it's very much you know um, tipping its hat to all of these other things that are going along. Much like when you're reading the Dark Tower and you're and you're, you're getting to the end of it, which is why I really thought it was going to end with two of them kind of watching <laughs> another ship arrive, which it didn't. Um, but um, but yeah, I definitely see that connection. And, and I'll say this uh, just for you, Chris, uh, in the chat room. Uh, from SpookySouthCoast.com, Shadow, who was in the room chatting tonight, Desmond was was that person's favorite character as well. Oh yeah, I mean, I I can I and then you know maybe I'm putting myself out there, take my man card away. I cannot watch um, the constant or flashes before my eyes without crying at the end. You know, and I can go work out before it and you know get all pumped up and you know watch wrestling and pornography afterwards. But in those moments, man, like, that ultimate love, it just blows me away. So, 
Well, we, have a, we have a call here. Uh, and if you'd like to call in and share, 508 996 0500, 1 996 1420. All right, let's go to the phones. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with Chris Balzano. How are you doing? Hi, I'm fine. Um, I watched the whole, the whole episode, mm-hmm. all of the whole six years, and I really loved the ending. I thought it was really good. I knew right from the beginning they were all dead. I was right. <laughs> but um, I was wondering about the son. Because when she went over to the island, she got pregnant on the island, had the baby off the island, and then at the end, on the last scene, she was uh, she found out she was pregnant. I don't know how that would work. <laughs> well, the the way that it kind of played out, I mean, let's kind of take a step back here. When you said that they were all dead, the uh, the ironic thing about it is, and it took me a little while to to get to this realization, but they actually weren't all dead. At the same time, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so they weren't all dead together. I mean, they didn't die in the plane crash. They all lived on the island together. That all really happened. Um, but they, where Jack was in that flash sideways was kind of like a construct that they had created to still be with each other as souls. So even though some of them died far after Jack and some of them died far before Jack, it was kind of like that one space where they could kind of all be together. So that being said, it didn't really matter that uh, she found out she was pregnant there because it was kind of just an allusion to what happened in reality. If you get what I mean, it wasn't. It didn't have to follow reality because it was something that they had kind of created in their own minds. Yeah. Um, you know, if you think about what they, what the three of what the two of them needed. They didn't really get a chance to be together as a couple fully. They were always being separated. Um, Jin never got to see his, his daughter. Um, never got to really kind of even play out the whole pregnancy thing. Um, and so what they needed, what their kind of souls needed was that moment of knowing, knowing the baby was going to be safe, knowing the baby was going to be born. And so in that construct that Tim's talking about, kind of the thing that the, the ultimate, their ultimate reflection of love was realizing that they were going to be a family, which, you know, in, in reality, they ultimately do get to do. Okay. All right. But I'm Thank glad, you. glad that you enjoyed it. Thank you for calling. Okay. I, I say Bye. glad you enjoyed it like I'm responsible for it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we have another call here, and if you want to call okay. in, 508 996 So let's take this call. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with Chris Balzano. How are you doing? Hi, it's Keith. Hey, Keith, how you doing? Good, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're sad because Lost ended, but at least we get to spend the night here reflecting back on it. At least yeah, we know well, there's been a new episode of uh, Ghosts or Near. Yeah. There you I'm, go. I'm kind of melancholy because I never watched it. You know, I tried to watch some of it once and I, I, you know, really couldn't get into it. But now everybody's raving about it now that it's over. And, uh, I mean, Brian, Hanwha, and Michelle have been raving about it constantly on Facebook and... And now I hear Chris saying these things about it, and I didn't realize there were spiritual aspects to it. And, uh, gee, I mean, you know, what do we do now? Reruns or? <laughs> well, they, they, I mean, they are rerunning it. Uh, the complete series will be out on DVD uh, at the end of the summer, August 24th. Uh-huh. Uh, but, they, I mean, if, if you go online and you go to Hulu or ABC.com, you can always find the, all the episodes are out there. I mean, I have Netflix, so I know uh-huh. I can get them through there, but they're all out there. And,. Even though you know how it ends now, there's no reason to not go back and kind of enjoy the journey. 
to, to how they came to that realization, especially yourself, Keith, being a man of faith, you'll pick up on things that I myself, being more of a of a, a oblivious to some cert, to certain overtones, wouldn't understand. But you'll pick up on things along the way, and you'll have a leg up on me. I kind of had to go to the websites that explain a lot of these things before I knew what they meant. I mean, I didn't even catch on to the name Christian Shepherd uh, until about thirty seconds after I first heard it. Well, if I had known about this, I would have started really getting into it. Like, cause he, Brian never told He just told me, oh, you got to watch this, you got to watch this, but he never explained why. I, I know they, what he told you. Dude, it's a show about some people that crash on an island. It's crazy. That's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I suggest we do our, our own version of Lost and um, kind of like a spooky South Coast ghost on air conglomeration. And uh, we could have Chris bring some, like, puck wedgies in on it, too, and everything, so... I was thinking about this earlier. I was thinking about, like, who, who in the paranormal uh, best reflects characters from Lost. Yeah. And uh, it, it's been kind of a, a tough go to tr- try to make some of those connections. Right. But uh, I will say this, that uh, <laughs> I'm pretty convinced at this point that, uh, Keith, you might not be familiar with the character of Danielle Rousseau, but she's a, a crazy French woman that lives uh, out in the woods on the island, and she's lived in the wild for so long, and she hasn't seen people, and she's kind of off off a rocker. That's definitely the Matt Moniz of Lost. Oh, all right. <laughs> Matt Moniz of Lost. She also has, uh, you know, the same arsenal oh, as well. Okay. So. <laughs> That's neat. I guess I could get into that. All right. So, yeah, definitely check it out, Keith. And if, right. uh, if you do decide to do it and you want to discuss along the way, Chris and I will be more than happy to, to, to talk about things with you. Too. Okay. I'll be in touch about that. And uh, save, stay safe, guys. And um, hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend, you know, and Memorial Day celebration. Yes, you, you too, too as well. Okay, you take care and God bless. You too. Bye-bye. And that's one thing, folks, that we should uh, take a moment to, to stress here. Being Memorial Day weekend, a lot of people are going to go and visit loved ones in cemeteries uh, who, have, who are no longer with us. And if you're going to do that, why not spend a few extra minutes just cleaning things up? If you see some, some mess or some graffiti or anything like that, you know, clean it up. We always tell the paranormal investigators, you know, you have a, a duty to make sure that you preserve the areas that you want to investigate. And that extends on Memorial Day to all of us. And if we're going to go and visit these these cemeteries to remember loved ones, what better way to honor them uh, than by doing a kind deed while you're there? So, well, we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll give away some movie tickets to see Splice during that break. Uh, you can give us a call five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. There for Tuesday night. There's a sneak preview to see Splice either in Warwick, Rhode Island, or Boston at the AMC Lowe's Theater. Uh, so you're either going to the Warwick Mall or the AMC Lowe's Theater in Boston, your choice. Uh, you also get your choice of a T-shirt, whether it be a regular T-shirt or a tank top, a movie poster, all of that just for calling in and telling us that you want them. So 508 996 We'll also have some here at the studio if you want to come by and pick them up uh, on Tuesday. I'll leave some out at the front desk, and we're going to give them to WBSM and Fun 107 to give away uh, tomorrow, Monday, and Tuesday as well. When we come back on the other side, we're going to check in with Matt Moniz, uh, who has some news that he wants to share with us and with Chris. And also, Chris, we're going to talk a little real estate before the end of the show, too. So uh, I want to I pick your brain about, some, about a potential real estate deal. So stay tuned. We'll be back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Destroy the monster.
find yourself in places you never imagined. Go to flyoceanicair.com today. Hugo Reyes has a dream. Ever since I won the lottery and took over Mr. Clux, I've had nothing but good luck. Now I'm going to surf the big waves at the World Masters Championship and win the gold. I think I'm going to have lunch first. If you've got work to do, try Mr. Cluck's four-piece combo made with the best free-range chicken in the business with Spanish rice, tortillas, and a cold drink. Now that's a winner. Waves, here I come. Um... Maybe I'll stay in and work on my new extra spicy ranch dressing chicken batter first. Try the Clucks four-piece combo, just four forty-two. Mr. Clucks, it's chicken heaven. Great Geronimo Jackson. Are they your favorite band from the 70s, Matt? They are. Yeah. They are now. <laughs> Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. You know, don't worry about Mr. Cluck's chicken. Just have eggs. I make really good eggs. <laughs> that might have been the line of the series for me. Want some eggs? I make really good eggs. Speaking of really good eggs, we got two of them on the phone with us. Chris Balzano, who has been discussing Lost with us all night, and also joining us on the line is the guy who is not here tonight because he never watched Lost, even though we told him to. Matt Moniz, the science advisor for Spooky South Coast. And Matt Moniz, uh, have you given any thought in all the hype this week regarding Lost of maybe going back and checking out the show? Oh, there he is. <laughs> We have our own little man of faith, man of science uh, thing going on now on the phone line. There you go. Matt, Matt Moniz, did you hear my question there? Or? Have I thought about watching episodes of Lost? Yes. And the answer is still no. Oh, man, we're going to get you to change your mind on that, I swear. <laughs> I needed you, man. I needed you throughout this series to explain things to me like, you know, the Daniel Faraday, Michael Faraday reference and... You know, all these different things I didn't... I mean, I understand coming from a English major background, you know, I understand John Locke and Jeremy Bentham and all that stuff, but it was the science stuff that I had the problems with, and that's where I needed you, man. Hence why I didn't watch the show. It didn't follow a lot of the sciences, and it would have just made me aggravated. Well, it is a fictional program, so... Is that is that something that happens to you, though, being, being a scientist and... and under, having a solid understanding of that, does it sometimes irk you when you're watching things, and and even for storyline purposes, they might gloss over something? Yeah. I mean, I like my sci-fi, actual sci-fi, not, you know, thrown in to augment a drama. I'm not a drama fan. Funny, because... Uh the usually when when things get to the science uh, in a lot of these dramas, that's when it turns the most dramatic for me because <laughs> it starts to seem like it's uh, believable. But I guess that's because not knowing the intricacies of it, I can kind of just buy what they're selling. I'm still trying to figure out how Hawkins begets a, a, a Faraday. I would think it'd be the other way around. Yeah, no kidding. Well, how does Hawking beget anything, really? <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Well, I'm just saying. Hey, the, the guy made a kick-ass song with Pink Floyd, so we'll give him that. True. Oh, plus all that other stuff he, he told us about the universe. I suppose there's that, too. But, uh, Matt, we have you on here tonight, uh, uh, even though we tried to give you the night off, uh, because you did a great job steering the ship last week, and, and you deserve a night off, but we, uh... Well, you mean I didn't run it aground? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I, the, what I could hear from, uh, the garden, and, uh, sorry, don't let my editor listen, but I, I was checking into the show during, during the game, and I know my editor's listening, so... But no, I mean, everything sounded great, and, and we'll have that episode up on podcast soon, but... Uh, we had to bring you on because you actually have a big announcement to make this week, and we wanted to uh, share it with the Spooky South Coast audience. Well, I want to say, number one, Tim, after doing the show last week, uh, I have a great respect for what you do. I mean, it's not easy doing broadcasting, especially by yourself. Well, I had Matt Costa there and Andy, but, you know, it's not that easy, and I took my hat to you because you really do make Spooky South Coast oh. It is. Thank you, but it wouldn't be what it is if you weren't sitting next to me. It's all in the clock, man. Just keep your eye on the clock. That's all you got to do. Oh, yeah, it's true. Uh, but uh, as far as my big announcement, uh, I've been asked by Fate Magazine to be their UFO column person. Uh, that's pretty big stuff. I mean, Fate Magazine is the most read magazine worldwide on paranormal phenomena, and it's, it's the original. It's been around since 1948, and uh, hopefully, you know, you're not going to be the one to take it down. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I know, I tease, but uh, it, I mean, really, they they've had a lot of UFO stories, tons of UFO stories in the past. It's kind of how that magazine made its bread and butter in the early days. I was going to say it was the origin of the uh, magazine. It all started with Kenneth Arnold's report in 1947. But there hasn't been, at least in the the you know five or six years that I've been reading it regularly, there hasn't been a continuing. UFO correspondent who is constantly uh, writing about the topic. It's just been a lot of submitted stories here and there. Uh, what are some of your plans for, for the role, or have you not even really had much chance to, to think about it yet? I just got asked uh, today of uh, how soon I can get my first thing in. There you go. <laughs> well, I, I can't just... imagine that uh, you know there isn't tons of information and, and columns and waiting already sitting up in your head. Uh, well, the first piece uh, I, I'd like to do, I'd like to touch on, it's a case very close to me, and we're on the 30th anniversary of it, is the Rendlesham Forest incident, or the Bentwaters incident, as other people may know it. I've gotten to know a number of people that were involved in those series of night's events, and uh, my first piece is going to be involved with speaking with all of the people I know and getting some of their first-hand accounts you know, directly onto paper from What's interesting is that a lot of the UFO stories I've read in the magazine are, you know, basically it'll be about a particular case. Uh, it'll be about the particular theories of what UFOs and, and these alien visitors might be all about. Um, but because they're written by different authors all the time, there hasn't been a lot of common linking threads between them. They've kind of just stood alone on their own, and it's up to the reader to try to make those connections. Uh, having something on a regular basis, do you think you'll be able to um, let people see how much these stories all connect together? Uh, yeah, not only that, I have the fortunate, uh, great fortune, actually, I should say, to be able to know a lot of the people involved in a lot of these cases. And uh, I've also been able to, you know, 
talked to a lot of the people that have investigated a lot of these famous cases. So I, I can get it from the first-hand person and what other people have gleaned from these cases besides. Plus, as you know, I always keep my eyes and ears open for new and fresh stuff that happens as well. Well, that's the other thing, too, is by being out there as being the UFO columnist for Fate Magazine, you're going to find, I think, that people are going to uh, use you as a go-to source uh, to, to break UFO stories. Uh, that's already been happening. Uh, a couple of people have already been submitting stuff to me. It's like, hey, I got this. You think you can help get this information out there? And I've gotten a couple of really good cases that I'm following up on. One, one thing, knowing you personally all these years, one thing that I've always found interesting is the access to evidence and photographs that you get that other people writing about the topic may not be able to get. So I can just imagine that uh, you know when, when you're presenting all this, you'll get the stories out there, you'll get the stories into the magazine, but that there's also going to be the opportunity through FateMag.com to be able to present some of this information to the reader beyond just what's in the magazine, to say, you know, go learn more, see some of the evidence of what we're talking about, hear some of the recordings, see some of the video. Is that something that you've been talking about with the staff over there? That's one of the things that I'd like to do. And with all of the, pl the planned uh, columns I've got, it's going to include in some way, hopefully in a web link of somehow, all of the background material that I use to write the story, uh, copies of emails or links to video and audio that the reader can go and check this information out for themselves. Uh, I know there's been some changes uh, with Fate Magazine as of late. Are they still publishing uh, bi-monthly? Yes, it's bi-monthly publication. So we're looking uh, for it'll at least be a little bit while, a little while until your first column comes out. Even though you're you're under the gun kind of to get it into the next issue, but we've still got some time before it hits the newsstands. Correct. All right. Well, you just make sure you keep us up to date about that because uh, we'll and of course we'll bring back the Fate Magazine commercial here on Spooky South Coast as well. I think that would be appropriate. <laughs> Which is kind of lax on our end. So, but uh, we'll we'll get back into that uh, relationship because it is a great magazine and it's it's. Even if you're somebody who is a casual observer of paranormal subject matter, you're somebody who is uh, not really a hardcore investigator into the matters and you just want to learn about, about it more and, and be entertained by the stories uh, about the paranormal, Fate Magazine, I've said it before and I'll say it again, it's the Reader's Digest of the Paranormal. It's the way to get all that information in a... In a terrific magazine layout i mean it's there's a reason why it's been around for you know over 50 years so uh definitely check that out fatemag.com is the website now while i have both of you guys here i want to know i've got about seven dollars in my pocket and maybe about uh 35 cents in the console of my car so i'd like to put that out there as my contribution to us all chipping in and buying uh, o uh 212 ocean avenue uh, in Amityville, New York, and opening it up as our own bed and breakfast slash paranormal sanctuary. So can you guys at least match the $7.30 that I'm putting up there? I'll double it. There you go. I'll, uh, I'll double Moniz's. There you go. So we're, we're only with, about... Uh, with my, uh, my, I had to buy a new cell phone today. I think I can, uh, I can afford that. We're only about $1.495 million away from being able to purchase it. Because uh, that is the going rate, $1.5 million for the house where the DeFeo murders took place and where the Lutz family supposedly encountered the evil entity that forced them out of the Amityville Horror House. 
Uh, what are your thoughts on this, guys? I mean, we all knew sooner or later this was going to happen. Uh, we knew that sooner or later the property would become either become available for sale or would go into the hands of people who would not be so uh, against paranormal investigators coming in. What do you think is going to be the end result of this, Chris? Um, I mean, I really think it does need to be opened up. I mean, there's no reason for, you know, it's been decades and no activity has happened whatsoever. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of just been a hassle for, for the people who have lived there. Uh, why not? Why not get? Uh, why not set something up? You know, we really don't have this kind of uh, investigative playground kind of place um, in the in the east on the east coast in the northeast, especially um, like they've you know set up in uh, in um, New Orleans now. You know, why not try to do something interesting and new with it? So I, I think that whoever buys it should definitely have that in their sight, and you're probably going to see especially that price tag, like, uh, you know, a business conglomerate kind of thing, do it and try to turn it into something, which is, you know, perfectly fine with me. So, I don't know. The, the place has been kind of, no pun intended, dead for a very, very long time. But is it dead because, uh, Matt, you've investigated numerous uh, haunted locations. Is it possible? I've actually even been to that location and stood in the driveway. Well, no wonder they won't let anybody else in anymore. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. The pig is back. I can see the red eyes. Oh, no, that's just Moniz. Uh, but uh, you, you've invented, uh, invented, investigated numerous uh, haunted locations. It, it's not uncommon, though, for if the right people aren't in there, the activity might not necessarily go on. That is true. Uh, hauntings have been known to be gone dormant for decades, and then the right family, the right conditions, whatever, and things start all over again. Um, do I think that somebody's going to buy it and let people go uh, tracing about and doing investigations? My personal opinion is no. I think it's going to be bought by somebody privately. Well, yeah, that's the problem is the neighborhood that it's in might not welcome right. it becoming a business. And, and technically, if they were going to do that, it would have to be zoned business. Correct. Uh, and uh, it's basically on, on a um, very rural street in the back end of a uh, pond or lake. So, yeah, they, you would find it hard-pressed for them to make it a, a public business. The, the catch of it. I mean, a, a bed and breakfast is possible. I mean, uh, depending on what the zoning laws are and, yeah. and whether or not something can be arranged, it is possible. I wouldn't be surprised to find out in that neighborhood if there's other bed and breakfasts in the area. But w one of the problems with that is I've heard people say during the course of the week, well, $1.5 million, that's because they plan on somebody doing this with it. That's why the price is so high. They're trying to sell it to somebody that's going to turn it into that. I don't think that's the case at all. If you look at the properties in that area, even with this housing market, I'm sure $1.5 million is slightly higher than maybe the home's value. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful home. It's a big house. It's like, what, seven bedrooms? Something like that. So one point five, well, on waterfront with a boat uh, house and everything, is not that unreasonable, especially uh, in its location. So it... Uh, it may be a little bit higher price than the surrounding properties, but it's actually not that far off. And from what I understand, I, I haven't been in there, but Chris, I don't know if, you know, knowing some of the, the, the people that you've talked to over the years, um, I know that there's been a lot of work done to the house to make it not the same home that it was uh, back when the DeFeos and when the Lusses lived there. 
that could also play into it too as well, couldn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you, you're talking about like why it's been so quiet because well, they've I know that they've changed the uh, exterior facade of the house. Uh, I believe they've eliminated that room, that secret room that was found downstairs. Um, so a lot of these kind of uh, hot spots, these what would be attractive for an investigator to go and want to investigate, may not be there anymore. Well, if you bought the house, you'd probably and you had that intention, you would probably uh, do a little constructive, uh, <laughs> little construction <laughs> on it to make it, yeah, to make it yeah. back to what it was like. But you know, it's, it's you know, I, I mean, you know, my personal theories are is that you know what was there has you know moved on to other things, and so therefore it's. It's not there anymore, but I think that it would, that still wouldn't stop investigators from wanting to go there. Also, uh, we we got to give credit to Mark in the chat room here about this because uh, he asked the question, is it dormant or is it unnoticed? That's something else that could be going on here. For all we know, the house is still just as active as it was when the Lutzes were there, but the people that are currently living there don't want everybody you know, coming down all over their property and trying to find out more about this, so they're just telling people that nothing's going on. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know the intensity level has happened. You would you would imagine that no family could live through that, or, or um, you know, the stuff I should say the stuff that was rumored to have happened is pretty intense. That it would be you know difficult to hide and difficult to live with, and um, you know, for people to stay there so long. But there's of course there's always that, and, and I'm a you know I'm a huge fan of of uh, what Matt was talking about in terms of the the right condition setting things in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't happen to think it's that's what's going on in this place. Well, we can certainly uh, discuss this uh, ongoing in the future because I think it's, even though uh, it's one of the most attractive properties uh, in the paranormal world, uh, we'll see how it stands as a home that's trying to be sold uh, in this housing market at a price tag of $1.5 million. So it could be a while before it gets moved, uh, and hopefully we can make sure we buddy up to the new owners. So... Uh, <laughs> We want to thank both you guys for joining us. Uh, Chris, and thank you for sharing your theories with us on Lost. I get a feeling that uh, your next book uh, will be all about Lost, <laughs> and uh, you'll have put all the time that you spent watching it to good use. Uh, Matt, if, uh, if you want to write a column about you know, Lost and, and you want to start to go back and watch it, I'm sure there's some UFO connections that can be made, whatever it takes to convince you that you need to sit down and watch it. At least watch the pilot. See if you don't like it. I watched half of the pilot, and that's all I needed to see. Okay. All right. We'll agree to disagree. All right. We'll be back next week. Uh, I don't know if I will be because I haven't yet. I have yet to see the NBA final schedule. I should be here next week, and then we'll see what happens after that. But of course, if I'm not here, you've got Matt Moniz, and he he's more than capable of, of steering the ship, and uh, probably will do a better job than I uh, on certain topics anyway. So. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more. If you want to get some of these movie tickets, I'm going to leave them here. They'll give them away on Fun 107 and WBSM uh, throughout the weekend and on Monday. So until next week, everybody, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. For Matt Moniz, Matt Costa, Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen.
First with local news, talk, and sports. This is WBSM New Bedford, Citadel Broadcasting, AM 1420, WBSM.